Let's open our Bibles at Romans chapter 4. Um, if you're fairly new here, we're doing a series in Romans, and we're doing notes, Bible notes on that, uh, every day from Monday through to Friday. We put a halt on that uh, during last week because we had Love Wickham, but we're back on course, so you'll get it on Twitter, you'll get it on Facebook, and you can have the notes emailed to you as well if you request. That's about right, isn't it, Ron? Okay, so, um, and I really encourage you to do that. I know a number of you have been very, very encouraged and helped by those uh, notes going out every day. They are, as I said, Monday to Friday. Let's read this passage. I'm just going to take the first eight verses here. And it starts with a question. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, But trust God who justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Uh, my friends, the, this, uh, all of us who have been teaching on Romans have, um, we've been pretty exercised really, because there's a stack of truth in every verse. That's really where it's at. So um, if this is very compact. I understand that and we understand that. So I'm asking you, stay with me. All right, just stay with me. Somebody once wrote this. They said, raking the ground is easier, but all you get is leaves. Digging deep, digging is harder, but you might find gold. Now, if you really immerse yourself in these uh, chapters here in Romans, my friends, this would enrich your life. Not just a Sunday morning few verses, but if you really got to grips with it, it would thoroughly, thoroughly enrich your, your life as a Christian. So, this morning I want to um, just start with this picture. And um, this picture was presented at a recorded program of the Antiques Roadshow um, in Nottingham last year. Um, it was presented as a 400-pound Van Dyke fake. So the person bought it as a fake, knowing it was a fake, but it was worth £400. His name was um, Father Jamie McLeod, and he was looking to really sort of get a valuation on it because um, he wanted whatever it was worth now as a fake, he wanted it to the proceeds to be able to go to some new church bells. That's what he was looking for. And Fiona Bruce was the TV show presenter of the day. And 
she spotted the picture. Now, she had just finished a show in which she had spent weeks, weeks looking at nothing else but Van Dyke paintings. Van Dyke paintings. And when she saw him come in with this painting, she had a hunch. She had a hunch. So she asked the owner if he would agree to an expert having a look at this fake painting. After This went to the expert, and after a few months of investigation, where he peeled back some recently or extra added paint, it was verified as the genuine article. And she had not a fake, but she had a genuine Van Dyke painting. So now the owner had in his hands not a 400-pound painting, but a 400,000-pound painting. Don't you wish you had bought it? (laughs) So he had the genuine article. Now, the reason I say that is we come to Romans chapter 4. We're looking at the genuine article of the gospel. And Paul... As we come here, he's removing objections and misrepresentation and misunderstanding of the truth of the gospel. Now, he's doing this particularly to an element in the church that has Jewish background. That's where he's coming from. And he gets this. He understands this better than anyone else. So he's trying to peel back all those objections that are coming. My friends, the Bible is a story of what's wrong in the world and what God has done to put it right. And you'll find in Romans, in these earlier chapters of Romans, it just represents that. You go from, I mean, you see the desperate need that Paul writes of mankind in in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, and most of the way through Romans chapter 3. And he ends up saying, no one is righteous. No one. No, not one. I don't, it doesn't matter how good you've been, no one. Now, no one means exactly what it says. You know, nobody escapes that net. And then two weeks ago, Ron came in for the end of chapter three and, um, and started to, and spoke about, but now, but now, you know, a righteousness from God has been revealed. But now, in other words, Everything has changed. Jesus has changed everything. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. It's not about trying. It's about trusting. Big difference. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. Because of Jesus, everything has changed. So I want to cover a couple of aspects today. And it's this. You need faith to begin with. And you need faith. Your faith needs to grow. You need faith to begin with. And your faith needs to grow. So let's just deal with that first point. You need faith to begin with. You, to put your, you, by this I'm saying you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And what he has done. My friends. This is the great leveler. There is no other way. This is the great human lever. It's the great the common denominator for every Christian. No matter how many charities you give to, 
no matter how many church services you've been to, irrespective of how many different versions of the Bible you have on your bookshop or your bookstore or your <laughs> book something or other, <laughs> bookcase. And listen, even if you have, uh, thank you ever so much, you're really helpful, you know. And uh, even if you have a degree in religious studies, I, my friends, so what? It all begins with faith. That's where it starts. Every person has to come this way. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. But no one comes to the Father but through the Son. Your goodness doesn't credit you. Neither, listen to this, neither. Your lack of goodness doesn't discredit you. There's two ways of looking at it. It isn't about you. It's about him, Jesus, and what he has done. Now, Paul is concerned. You don't have to stick with me here. He's concerned with the Jewish converts, and, and he knows the Jewish background, and he knows their, their, their MO, their modus operandi, is to follow rules and regulations. You know, if you want to follow God, it's rules and regulations. It's feast days and festivals and, and, and adherence to sacred days. Uh, it's about what you eat and what you drink. It's about do, do, do. It's about what you do. And he knows that's in their whole thinking. Obedience for them was the doorway. But my friends, the truth is, faith is the doorway. It's faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. Not your record. Not your achievements. This is what Peter calls a gift. So he calls faith a gift. It's a precious gift. That means it's God-given. A gift is unearned. Unearned. You know what? I don't know how it went for you. I don't know. I don't, you may still be in the throes of this, but I, for those of you who are Christians here, I don't know how it went for you. I don't know how this all worked out, but you know, it's, I know for me and others, you know, you're all working out this Jesus thing, and, and then in a moment, it sort of comes. You just, well, you just know. You know that he is who he says he is, and that he's done what he says he's You just know. And you find yourself talking to him. We call that praying. I like it when we call it talking to him. It's sort of more normal. And for some of you, you can remember the day. You can remember the moment. You can remember the occasion. You could probably even remember the time, almost to the second, when it came to you as clear as daylight. You made a response. It happened. Bang. But it doesn't happen like that for every one of you. For some, it's like that. For others, it's almost like we stumbled into it. You know, we, we, can't, we couldn't give an exact moment. But we do know it happened. And we do know we had faith. C.S. Lewis writes this. This is his own account. He says, I know very well when, but hardly how the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade Zoo one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When we reached the zoo, I did. 
Now that's a journey, isn't it? Here's the, yet, I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, I'm sure some of you, none of you understand this, but lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. And he said, that's what it was like for me. My friends, faith is a gift. It's God-given, unearned. God does it. That's why it's precious. So the scene we are in now, as we come to verse 1, is like a courtroom scene. And Paul is like a barrister, and he's opening up the arguments. And I thought, you know, once we get to chapter 3, get that sorted, and righteousness from God has been revealed in Jesus Christ, hallelujah, let's get moving. And then he starts to peel off this extra paint, all this extra stuff that's to do with the Jewish background, but actually has an implication for you and me too. And he starts to peel it off. So it's like a courtroom scene. And he calls to the stand his first witness, Abraham. You can imagine. It's like, I call to the stand, Abraham. And the Jews are thinking, that's a good person to bring. I mean, he's the father of our faith. I mean, Abraham is held in incredibly high esteem. You bring up Abraham, he'll tell you how it is. You know, just let's have the witness of Abraham. I'm fine for that. And And the matter in question is about being justified with God through Jesus Christ. That's the the point. So, where would Abraham stand in these matters? Let's have a look. Verse 1. That's why you need your Bibles here. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Now, here's an interesting point here. He pulls out a verse from Genesis 15, verse 6, about Abraham, that it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So this makeup of the church is Jewish and Gentile. Jews saw the world in two people. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. That means non-Jew, i.e. the rest The Greeks did the same. You're either a Greek or you're a barbarian. So, they split the world in two. I'm sorry, you've often heard me say this. My my wife is a Greek. Therefore, what am I? Exactly. So, but they would split the world in two. And the interesting thing is, so you've got Jew and Gentile in this church... And all he talks about is Genesis 15, verse 6, about that he believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He doesn't give any full picture whatsoever. That presupposes that they all knew about the life of Abraham. I can't presume to do that. I'd encourage you to get into your Bibles. And I'd encourage you to read Abraham's story. And we've just recently done it as a series. But I can't presume that, so I'm just going to summarize in a moment or two. 
But I'm encouraging, this is your story here. It's not Abraham's story, it's yours. This is your family. So my friends, get yourselves into the Bible and have a look at this man Abraham because he's calling him to the witness stand. And now the, the summary of, and let me just summarize here. Abraham was called by God and he was given incredible promises. I mean, he was promised a great nation. Here's a man and his wife, they're childless. And God promises him not just a child, but a great nation. He promises him a land. He promises him that all the peoples on earth would be blessed through him. Is that a big promise? Your response is to be yes. Okay. Is that a big promise? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, it's huge, isn't it? It's a massive promise. He was promised land. He was promised people. You read it all, Genesis 12. Now, listen, somewhere along the lines, this, something had got lost in translation. And this is how the Jews perceived Abraham in Paul's day. They perceived that this was a quote. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds before the Lord. Here's another one. And, the, and these are Jewish writers at the time. They believed that Abraham was reckoned righteous because he obeyed all the commandments, which hadn't actually been written yet, but because he obeyed all the commandments and he had earned God's promises. That was the writing, that was the understanding of Abraham of that day. Well, yeah, that means you completely misunderstood Abraham's lifestyle. It was a mess. As much as, I mean, he was a great man, and let me not underestimate him, but there were messy moments in in Abraham's life. You couldn't say he was perfect in all his deeds. You couldn't do that. He wasn't made righteous because of his deeds. You're still with me, all right? We're now moving to verse 2. You're thinking, my goodness me, when do we get to verse 8? Look, just you've got to stay with me here, folks, because... This is helps you understand it. Abraham was, then he says, look, verse, verse 2. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God. In other words, surely not before God. Can you imagine standing before Almighty God and boasting about all the things you've done? It does, it's, it's a ridiculous picture, and that's what Paul is saying. You can't call all the things he's done as, as an achievement and a record, and, and that makes him righteous, having right standing on. You can't do that. What, when did it all happen then? Was it because he obeyed God for a long time? No, his track record shows he, it didn't. He wasn't perfect. To be in credit with God was nothing to do with his works. So, you're still with me here. God's promises weren't given because he sought God, because God sought him. It's the same with your life. He initiates, we respond. He starts something, we follow. That is the way God works. He seeks after, we follow. It, it, that is his, that's how he does it. What did he do then? He believed God. He believed God. He trusted God. He put his faith in God. Now the Bible says this. It is by grace you have been saved. 
What's the next line? Through faith. And do you know know what the next line is? And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So even the faith of Abraham in believing God, it was a gift to him. Your faith is a gift, my friend. It has nothing to do with all the things you do or think are a credit for you. Nothing. Now, I'm glad you're still here. Uh, there's two words that are frequently, re- frequently repeated in this chapter. And there's credited and righteousness. So, when we, let me just explain righteousness a moment. For someone to be righteous before God is to be, is to be able to stand before God, however, whoever, whatever, forever, just to be able to stand before God and come into his presence whew, clean. Having a right before a pure and holy God, being able to do that. That's what it means to be righteous. So, you've got these terms here, credited and righteousness. So, I'm going to use accounting terms. Here we go. So, in the days of accounting ledgers. Now, I used to work in the Abbey National Building Society many, many years ago. And so we had a, 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 these journals. I mean, they were huge, great things. But the standard procedure is this. Debits on the left, credits on the right. That's right, Phil, I saw you nod your head. Debits on the left, credits on the right. Should we say that together? Debits on the left, credits on the right. This will help you here. Debits on the left, credits on the right. All right. So we're going to have a look at a couple of accounts here. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus' account. We're doing a bank statement. You think, I can't believe I'm hearing kings doing a bank statement. But um, can we just ha- So this is Jesus' bank statement on the left. You with me? And this is Neil. I wanted to put somebody else's name there, but I just felt, you know, I'm going to upset somebody if I do. So I'll start my name. So this is Jesus' bank account. On the debit side... Well, there isn't one. He has no sin nature. He has no old sin nature. We're all born in sin. So that's where we start. I mean, I have a sin nature. Blame my parents. That's what I said this morning when they were here. I, I, you have a sin nature. You're, we were born like that. But on top of that, we make decisions. We have thoughts. We have processes. We do things and... and and we, 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 we sin. Jesus has no sin, no old sin nature, and he doesn't sin. You'll see he's perfect in all his ways. There was never such a perfect man as Jesus. All right? Utterly, utterly in credit. Absolute righteousness. Able to come to his father, clean, no spot, no blemish, no wrinkle, nothing. He's just absolutely clean. On the other side, we've got Neil's bank account. It's a sorry sight. He's got an old sin nature and he's got personal sins which we're not going to go into today. You'll be very pleased to hear. All right? And, and, and it's sack full on that side, on that left-hand side. And on the right-hand side, there isn't a credit in sight. Not a bean. Nothing. Nada. Zero. Empty. Not even good deeds because the Bible says our good deeds are as filthy rags. We only do that for ourselves anyway. Or we do that, but it's, it's nothing God would. So not even good deeds count. 
God, I tell you what, I'm in trouble here. How am I ever going to stand before a holy and righteous God, pure God, with, with, with a debit and not a credit in sight? I do it through Jesus Christ. I do it through Jesus Christ. So if we could have the next slide up, please. That would be really helpful because it changes, you see. And as I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm forgiven of all my stuff, of which we don't want to talk about, he takes my debt on the cross. That's my debit balance. And he dies in my place. Because the Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. Can you ever imagine being in a world where there's not a hint of God in it? I can't. I think it would be the darkest place in the world. My friends, this is why we're on a mission for others. Please get that. I'm not talking just a physical death here. I'm talking about a life, an eternal life without God. That's a horrible place to be. Jesus takes my punishment. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands what it is to be abandoned. He takes my abandonment. And this is what happens. This is my balance now. It's all changed. And on the left-hand side... On the left-hand side, there isn't a debit. There's no debit. My debt has been cleared. It's absolutely brilliant. And on the right-hand side, it's this thing called righteousness. It means I can come into God's presence forever, whenever, however, forever. Because of the robe of righteousness that Jesus has given me. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Listen, this is my credit card. Can you imagine having a credit card? Stack full of credit that's never emptied. Hallelujah. My goodness, you want a credit card like this? Well, don't get this one, by the way. But this is, this is our credit card. In heaven, we, we can come before God, whatever, based on what he has done. Don't you go trying. Start trusting. Stop looking for rules to live by and live in a relationship. That's the important thing. And, this, and, you, and you bring your credit card to God. Jesus has done this for me. Amen? That's, it's just what he's done. So he's fully in credit and so are you. And he takes us up to the hilt all our debt he takes. Now, this is a God work from start to finish. And Paul is explaining this to the Jews who are always thinking, do, 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 do. Obedience, 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 obedience. The Jew would start from an obedience point of view. But a Christian comes from a faith point of view. And obedience follows. It's the fruit of faith. It does, it's not, this doesn't start, it's not the root of faith. It's the fruit of faith. So, faith is Jesus, in Jesus is the pin code for God's credit card for me. 
So that's the first thing. And so you need faith to begin with. And it's a gift, my friends. Now, secondly, you must exercise this. Faith needs to grow. You don't stay at the same point. So when I learned to ride a bike, I, uh, I was, when I was little, I learned to ride this bike. And it was a girl that taught me. And she was very good at it. But once she had to let me go, uh, you know, I sort of, uh, I, w- I went so far, slap, fit fell and then uh, and then and then I went a little bit further and bang all the scrapes on my knees and all the rest if you go if you start that that's you know you learn don't you you grow I'm sure Bradley Wiggins had the same thing even though he won the Tour de France I'm sure he had the same start as I did but he didn't talk about it when he won the Tour de France he moved on my friends, we grow in faith. We, we move on. God spoke to Abraham and Abraham believed him. He believed him. He put his faith in him. Faith develops on the journey. Abraham doesn't get it all right. God is patient with him. He gives you his credit card of righteousness. Let me just highlight this in one moment. There's a moment when God comes to Abraham. And he says, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom. And Abraham's nephew is in Sodom and his family. And so God tells him what he's going to do. So Abraham, Abraham steps forward. Abraham steps forward. And he says to God, are you going to do this? Are you going to do this if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom? God says, no. If it's 50 righteous people, it's fine. So he says, and then he gets a little bolder, and he says, 45. And God says, yeah. And he goes, 40. And you've got this street market bartering going on. I'll give you 50. No, I'm going to take 45. Actually, I changed my mind. I'm going for 40. And then he says, no, I changed my mind. Abraham says, I want 30. If there's 30 righteous people, will you save Sodom? Yes, 30 righteous people. I'll tell you what, I've changed my mind. I'm going for 20. 20 righteous people. I, and he gets it all the way down to 10. And he's thinking there must be 10 righteous people in Sodom. And there aren't. But that tells you something about Abraham's faith, doesn't it? tells you that this man is able to come to God and he starts bartering with him and he, come on Lord, even for, even for, even for 20, even for, even for 10, thinking there must be 10. His faith is growing. How's your faith doing, my friends? How is your faith growing? You know, when a person grows in faith, we engage with the Lord. He loves it when you grow in prayer. He loves it when you grow in self-control. He loves it when you grow in generosity. What are you growing in? Do you know what you're growing in? It's an important question. And the second question is the opposite of that. Do you know where you've stopped growing? By gum, that's a key question. Have you stopped growing? No, that's my limit. I'm not going to do any more than that, Lord. He calls a second witness to the stand and the stand, and it's David. Well, David's a hero in Jewish terms. David, big hero, look what he did. But David, 
known as a man after God's heart. He's a Jewish favorite. But David writes this, and look at it there, verse 7. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man who sin the Lord will never count against him. Well, well, actually, he had a good track record, did David? Then one day, he looks from his palace patio, and there's Bathsheba. And his eyes come out on stalks. He goes back that night and replays what he's seen. And he thinks, I'm going to have that lady. And that's downhill all the way from there on. David understands forgiveness of sins. Oh boy, does he understand this. David doesn't come to God with all his works. He comes to God because he needs forgiveness of his sins. David, adultery with Bathsheba. David sets Bathsheba's husband up to be murdered in the battlefront. Boy, has he got some big stuff. I wonder if you have. I wonder if you have something. You know that one thing that keeps coming back that you wish you'd never done? And there's very few people that know about it. And you're not going to tell anybody either. But it keeps coming back like a flashback. It's like a replay. It keeps coming to you. My friends, you can know the grace of God in that place. You can find the grace of God. He, you can never go too far down that he hasn't gone there for you. You can't. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's really, it's absolutely essential you get this. If you've got a history, you've got flashbacks, your, your acceptance isn't about your record. It's about God's promises and his faithfulness. And that's what David uses. Brings out his credit card. Let me finish with this. This is about growing in faith. Corrie ten Boom has a sister called Betsy. They're in a concentration camp, Ravensbrück. Betsy is, uh, she's very poorly. She's a weak lady. She can't do much. She's constantly beaten by the guards, constantly whipped. She's got all the scars to prove it. One morning when ice was forming a halo around each street lamp, a feeble-minded girl, two rows ahead of her, suddenly soiled herself. A guard rushed at her, swinging her thick leather crop while the girl shrieked in pain and terror. It was always more terrible when one of these innocent ones was beaten. Still, she was continued to be whipped. It was the guard we had nicknamed the snake because of the shiny dress she wore. I could see it now beneath her long wool cape, glittering in the light of the lamp when she raised her arm. I was grateful when the screaming girl at last lay still on the cinder street. Betsy, I whispered. 
when the snake was far enough away, what can we do for these people? Afterward, I mean, can't we make a home for them and care for them and love them? Corrie, she said, I pray every day that we will be allowed to do this, to show them that love is greater. And it wasn't until I was gathering twigs later in the morning that I realized that I had been thinking about the feeble-minded girl, and she had been thinking and speaking about the Gestapo persecutors. Are you growing in faith? I just, I've been reading parts of this again, and you know, I think this, this lady, this sister of Corrie Ten Boom is so sweet. My friends, it's worth a read, absolutely worth a read. So we need faith to begin with, and we need to be growing in faith. Amen.